in the first part of the book of Acts. And again, if you're into uh, putting a title on a message, uh, we're going to call this Empowered to Act. And um, I just hope that it fits the message. I just pulled that one out of the air. So just being honest with you. Uh, basically, um, if when we read through the book of Acts, um, we read uh, uh, an account, a narrative of some very fantastic things. And uh, we're going to uh, take some time over these next months to probably not go through verse by verse, uh, but to go through uh, somewhat thematically uh, through the book of Acts. And uh, we're, anyway, we're going to start that this morning uh, with an introduction to the book of Acts. And so uh, I just want to pray, just to ask God's help and wisdom in uh, speaking this morning. And then we're going to get right to it and get right down to work. So, Father, we thank you for your help that you give us. We thank you, God, that you give, you take away. God, that you give us what we need. You take away those things that we don't. And, uh, Lord, I pray this morning that you would give me what I need to be faithful to your word and to represent you in a way that would honor you. And, uh, Lord, we pray that uh, we would receive these words uh, from your word. And God, that we would apply them to our lives and know that they're for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, right down to it, we're going to start this morning and we're going to work beginning in Acts chapter 1. And so uh, if you want, if you have your Bibles with you, you want to take them out. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. And so uh, we're going to start and we're going to go through to verse 5. And I'm going to jump around a little bit in the scriptures uh, in addition to this. But we're going to start, this will be our base text for the day. And so... It says in verse 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but for wait, to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so, that's our base text. And uh, this morning, we're going to concentrate more on the first four verses of this. And I'm sure next week when Joe picks things up, uh, we'll get into the meat of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's not going to be our core text base today. We're going to be talking uh, a little bit more introductory in an introductory fashion. But basically, in our introduction, uh, we just want to introduce you to Luke, who wrote uh, basically almost 25% of the New Testament. And so Luke, um, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, same guy who wrote, the book of Acts, same thing. And just so I didn't, I don't have it on the screen, but just to give you an indication of the parallel, uh, the parallelism that is found in both the book of Luke and the book of Acts, or the gospel of Luke and the, the book of Acts, uh, here's the first few verses from the book of Luke. And so, um, actually, let me just skip back here. Here's Acts. Here's what the first bit of the, the gospel of Luke sounds like. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile, uh, compile a narrative 
of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may certainly, uh, concerning the things you have, you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so, there's no question, if you read any Bible commentator, they're going to tell you the same thing, that the same person, Luke, wrote both of these, these books that are found in the New Testament. And like I said, 25% of the New Testament. By trade, he was a doctor. Now, even though medicine at the time was in antiquity and somewhat archaic, obviously, in relation to things today, I mean, he wouldn't have had any idea of what penicillin was. He wouldn't have had any idea of what, you know, about germs. Yet, for his time, he would have been deemed as one of the learned people in society. He was very articulate. He was someone who was well-educated for the time in his trade. Now, if you were to ask me, Gary, would you want to go to him as Dr. Luke? I'd be very quick in saying no. Okay? If it had anything to do with getting uh, a cut scene to or any kind of internal problem, I wouldn't go to him, okay? Just to let you know. However, for the day, he was well-respected as somebody who was learned. He was also a companion of Paul. He was not one of the disciples. He, did, he never actually saw Jesus. He never saw Jesus. He never was with Jesus. He was a companion of Paul. He was very articulate and precise in what he wrote. And so when you read both Luke and Acts, you will notice that he's very detailed in what he says. <coughs> now, how, you might ask, how did he find his information? How did he find his information about Jesus and about what was going on at the time of the book of Acts that he writes about in the first number of chapters because he wasn't around? Well, he would have done so through interviews and so on. He wrote it. He wrote the, uh, the book of Acts about A.D. 62. So 60 or so years after the death of Jesus is when he wrote the book of Acts. But the thing is, there were many, many people around that were his contemporaries that walked with Jesus, that were with Jesus. In fact, um, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Luke was actually with Paul at the time of the writing of 1 Corinthians. And so Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. He says, then he appeared, talking about Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead. So then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So we can assume very easily that if he appeared to 500 brothers at one time, that it would be assumed that he would also have appeared to probably almost an equal amount of females. So probably close to 800 to 1,000 people at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So Paul is basically saying this. And Luke would say the same. Because he wrote it at this time. He said, I'm writing these things down, but if you really want to find out 
Go ask the people I interviewed. They're still around, a lot of them. Go talk to them. No one refuted what Luke said. No one refuted what Paul said in terms of what he wrote about, about Jesus and the things that he did. Now, the thing about Luke is that we take a look at the story of the gospel in Luke and the book of Acts. He doesn't see, he doesn't give us the gospel of Luke as the story of Jesus. And he doesn't write the book of Acts solely as what happened in the, as the story of the early church. He just doesn't do that. He doesn't make that distinction. Now, a lot of people have. But truly, Luke, that wasn't his business. That wasn't what he was up to. He wasn't really talking about, um, you know, about Jesus and what he did, and then about the early church. It's really not, that's not his intention. Because in Luke chapter 1, or sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I'm telling you about, in the former book, I talked about what Jesus began to do. Right? What he began to do. More appropriately, Acts and Luke reveal two stages of Jesus' ministry. What he did on earth and what he did from heaven. So really, what we're finding here in the book of Acts, it's really the story of Jesus continued. It's really the story of Jesus continued. The watershed between the, watershed between the two books the thing that links them together is what we refer to as the ascension of Jesus. He ends the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, in one way, with the story of the promise and the ascension, and he begins the book of Acts in the same way. And so, just to illustrate that, Luke chapter 24, at the end of the gospel of Luke, in a few verses, he says, and behold... Jesus says, I am sending you the promise of my father, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So is the promise of his spirit. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting them up, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Not only had they walked with Jesus, not only had they been with Jesus, the disciples. Jesus gives them the promise of his spirit. They're finally cluing in. He's been with them for 40 days after he raised from the dead. And now he says, wait, I'm sending you my spirit. And all of a sudden. He's lifted up and ascends to heaven beyond their sight. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw that. I think I'd be going to the temple blessing God too. So that's the end of Luke. And in Acts chapter 1, 8 and 9, and Joe may get here again next week, but just to show you the parallelism that exists between the two books, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. These are Jesus' words. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So he ends the gospel in one way, and he connects the two books together with the same scene. And so what he's attempting to do here is he's making the connection between 
Jesus' earthly ministry and his heavenly ministry through the Holy Spirit, he's making that connection with this scene right here. And so it's not just the story of the church. It's both and. In fact, we wouldn't have the story of the church if Jesus didn't ascend to heaven and pour out his spirit. So it's the acts of who or the acts of what? We talk about the book of Acts. And some would say that, you know, it's the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And we have the early foundational leaders of the church. Peter, John, Paul, and James, and others. It's the book of the Acts of the Apostles. How many of you have heard it called the Acts of the Apostles? Yeah, a lot of people probably, right? And then there's a lot of other people that say, well, you know, especially since the uh, charismatic renewal back in the late 60s and early 70s and on forward, we call it what? The book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. A little bit of an issue in that when we call it the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we're putting a lot of emphasis on the human element, aren't we? In fact, we're overemphasizing that. And the problem with calling it the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit is we're really overemphasizing the divine and we're not understanding that God uses people too. Maybe. John Stott actually prefers to call it this. And I, I actually like it's a long title. But that's okay. He says this. How about calling it the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his spirit through his apostles? It kind of covers all the bases, right? It kind of brings it all together. It's the book of the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his spirit through his apostles. But Luke is emphasizing here in the book of Acts that it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's the spirit of Jesus is with us. So really, at the end of the day, the atonement, Jesus making us right with him, with the Father, through his shed blood on the cross, the sacrifice that he gave, so that by his sacrifice, our sin is put on his shoulders, and we receive the righteousness of God. By that act, that was, and his resurrection and his ascension, it's really the end of the beginning in the book of Acts. His spirit was poured out. Jesus' spirit was poured out in the earth to the first apostles and believers to today in every part of the world. So we're still in, if you will, the canon of Scripture is closed. The book of Acts of the apostles and the spirit of Jesus has been closed. However, the story of Jesus still continues. So he's both the historical Jesus who lived and the contemporary Jesus who lives. He is here. He's here in the room with us. He's here with you. He's with you every day. And I think part of the danger is that we don't personalize corporately and individually enough the fact that we have a living Jesus that's with us. His spirit. The scriptures call it the spirit of Jesus. His spirit. He's with each and every one of us. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's much better, folks. It's much better than walking with Jesus in Galilee 2,000 years ago, as interesting as it might have been. We actually have 
the ability through the Spirit to be intimately acquainted with Christ by His Spirit in a way that the disciples, when they walked with Jesus, couldn't understand. This morning during worship, as good as it was with the disciples and Jesus when they walked the roads of Galilee and they went over the place and saw Jesus doing all these things and actually even did some things, we have, by His Spirit, a more intimate relationship with God than they did. Think about that. Or should I say we have the potential for intimacy with God. It's there for us. It's like, it's, it's like, it's like winning the lotto. But we have to acquire it, right? It's there for us. We have to receive what he's given to us. And so we have the introduction to the book of Acts. There you go. It's really a book of witness of what happened when Jesus visits the church, establishes the church, visits the church, and helps the church expand through the world to today. It's the book of witness of Jesus, really. First of all, there are a few things in making provision for the continuance of what God would do in the world. There are, I'm going to go through four things here that Luke highlights in the scriptures this morning that can give us a little bit of an indication as to the provision of God. First, Jesus chooses the apostles. He chose the apostles to the apostles whom he had chosen. Acts chapter 1, 2b. He chooses them. It's of his choosing. In fact, the same word is used, same Greek word is used for the choosing of the disciples as the, the, the apostles. And so the disciples, when they were chosen, Jesus did that. He chose the, the disciples. Peter, drop your nets, follow me. Even though Paul never walked the earth with Jesus, Paul had a bit of an interruption on the way to Damascus, ready to kill Christians. On his horse, knocked down. Jesus chooses him, saves him from his sin, basically says, like, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, like, what's, what's going on? I'd love to have had the full conversation. I think it would be very one-sided. <coughs> But Jesus was very intentional in choosing those who would lay the foundations for the church. It wasn't done by human committee, vote, or self-appointment. They didn't just say, yeah, I'm going to be an apostle. You. I'm going to, we're going to have a church vote, folks. We're going, to, we're going to bring everybody together. We're going to have a vote. And here are the names on the ballot. Whichever one is chosen, that's the chosen one doesn't work that way. There's no democracy in the New Testament. I hate to break anybody's bubble, but there isn't. There's no voting in the New Testament. Jesus chooses. A lot of different circumstances, but He does it. He chooses. But lest we just think that we're talking about that was then and this is now, the fact is, folks, is really is Jesus still chooses you and me 
to go forward with his plans. We read it last week out of Ephesians that you're chosen before the foundation of the earth. That God chooses you. Ryan Calhoun. Pam Waugh. He's got your number. It's an old song by the Rolling Stones. He's got your name. He's got your number. Although you're screaming blue thunder, you can't get away at all. God chooses us. He pursues us with his great love. We can kick and we can scream, but God chooses us. And the prodigal son, the one who spent all his father's wealth and found himself eating the husks in this, in this pig stall, the Bible love it when it says in the New Testament, in the NIV version, it says, when the son, what? Came to his senses. In other words, when he seated, when he bowed his knee to God's choice of his life. Until we do that, there's this struggle that goes on in our lives. There's this interior, internal push and pull that will never give you rest. But you see, it's not meant to hurt us or to harm us. It's meant to bring us into relationship with him. It's meant to give us the very thing that God knows we need, and that is intimate relationship with a God who loves us. The same God who someone prayed this morning, Paul talked about the universe and all that. God, you know, in one version of the scriptures, God basically threw the stars in heaven with a hand, with his fingers. That very same God is the one who speaks to us. He chooses us. Now, if you're going to ask me to understand that, I can't. I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. He chooses us. Just like he chose the apostles. He chooses us. He calls us. He calls us by name, even loves your name. Even though you hate your name. I bet you if I asked how many people here don't like the sound of their own name, a lot of people put their hand. I'm not going to do that. But think about it. How many like the sound of their own voice recorded when you play it back? No one likes that. God does. God loves the sound of your voice. God loves it. God loves the sound of your voice. So you, when you're alone in the car and you're, you're talking to God and you just, for the first time, you're getting out, you, as, as Shakespeare says, you screw your courage to the sticking post. And while you're in your car, your knuckles, and you're alone, and how crazy is it? Your knuckles are white on the steering wheel, and you grab enough courage to be able to speak to God. And how stupid that sounds. How stupid that sounds. Anybody ever think that before? How stupid does this sound? You know what? God loves it. He loves the sound of your voice. He loves it when you say, you know what, God? Even in our honesty, at the very lowest of the low, when we have our hands on the steering wheel or when we're walking down the street and we just say, God, I don't understand what you're doing in my life. I hate where I'm at right now. I just, it's, it's, I'm confused. I don't even know if you exist, but I think you do. Could you help me? God loves that. He loves that. He absolutely loves it. It makes his heart glad. 
It makes his heart glad. Because you see, you're moving from flatline to life. The beauty of it is, is that God loves to respond to us. He loves to reply to us. He loves to have a conversation with us. He's alive. You can't just drum the stuff up. Secondly, Jesus showed himself to them. Not only does he choose us, not only does he choose the apostles, but he showed himself to them. Look at it. It says in Luke 24, the gospel of Luke 24, 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I love that verse. I remember I had a professor in university, and I, I wasn't a Christian, and I, was, I took a, book, a course called The Study of the Bible as Literature. And <clears throat> I come to find out later on, I didn't even know what a Christian was. I, I, I really didn't. And I come to find out after I became a Christian, this professor was a Christian. But I remember sitting in the sub at UNB, in the cellar, as they call it now. I remember going to the cellar, and I'd have to cram my readings. I had to read the whole book of Isaiah and Jeremiah or something like this for for the night class. It was 4 o'clock. My class started at 7, and I hadn't done my readings yet. Oh, yeah. Piece of cake, I thought. It's only the Bible. I flipped it open, Isaiah chapter 1. And as soon as I open up, I'm reading about hot coals and all kinds of things. And I'm like, oh, man. I didn't have a clue. It wasn't long after that. It was probably about a year later that Jesus opened my mind to understand the scriptures for the first time. He let me have a glimpse into what the Bible was about, into what his, basically his letter. But look at this next part. Out of Acts 1-3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He was like, many proofs. You want proof? I'll give it to you. Here you go. Here's the proof you need. He was with them. He revealed himself to the disciples and to the apostles. See, you got to understand that what Jesus was doing was he was laying the foundation for this new thing called the church. Brand new. New, new, new. You think of creation, how fantastic that was? The church makes creation, really, makes creation look minor. The church is a new thing. It's not the church and the Jewish nation. It's the church. The church of Jesus. His people. And those that laid the foundations for the church had to have Jesus reveal it to them. Because, you see, the church is close to the heart. It's the closest thing to the heart of God is us. The church isn't a building. The church isn't a structure somewhere. And I know in our lingo, we refer to, oh, there's the church down the street, this Brunswick Street Church over there, and 
St. Paul's churches over there, they're actually not churches. They're, they're edifices. They're buildings. The problem with English is that we, our words sometimes get confused, just like the word love, right? It's like a lot of languages have 15 different words for love or more so that when we say we love glossettes, raisins, and peanuts, it's different than we say I love Jesus. like the British. Everything's brilliant. So if you're talking to a Brit and you're, you're showing them your new whatever or you're saying how well you did over here and they say, oh, that's brilliant. Okay, guys, Canada, Canadians, really what they're saying is, it's okay. <laughs> it's just like here when we say it's awesome, right? We don't really mean that, you British folks. We're really not being very truthful. We're just filling our sentences with a few words here that kind of elaborate things a little bit, <coughs> hyperbolize. So Jesus laid the foundation. He revealed himself to the disciples and the apostles to lay the foundation for this new thing called the church. But the truth of the matter is, in his spirit, Jesus does the same thing with us. He reveals himself to you. He reveals himself to me. I'm confident of that. It may not look at sometimes. I wonder if, like, I don't really see any evidence of, of, you know, them, whoever it is. So I just don't see the evidence of God's working. But on the inside, there's lots of things going on, I believe. At first glance, you really can't tell. See, Jesus poured himself out to us. On the cross. But he poured out his spirit. At Pentecost. For then and forever. To the church. He pours himself out to us. We ask. He fills. We did that this morning. In so many words. Father fill me with your spirit. It's like. He wants to give you his spirit. Liberally. Without measure. All we have to do is ask. Now, understand that we do have a part to play, and this is not legalism, because legalism is trying to follow a set of rules that we think are going to make us right with God. doesn't work. Rules don't work. Rules are rubbish, as they say in England. Garbage, as Don would say. doesn't work. But there is discipline. Our Canadian World Junior Hockey team could have used some in the third period on Wednesday night. They got lost in the plot. The discipline wasn't there. Either that, or the Russians were more disciplined. Who was hungrier? Obviously, the other team. I actually wasn't even upset. I thought, these guys are awesome. Came back with five straight goals. But discipline is part of the spirit-filled life. You see, because when, when God fills us with his spirit... When he gives us what is his liberally, there is, there, there's a part we play, not to make ourselves right with God, but there's a part we play, we, we work with God. That's why I always ask people, what are you reading? What are you reading these days? What are you reading in the scriptures these days? What books are you reading? What are you spending your time with? It's not, it's not about 
You know, I remember in the old days, you know, we don't have a TV. Why? Because it's sinful. That's not sinful to have a TV. (coughs) It's like Tim Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Gods, anything can be a god. Good things can be gods. Your family, your kids can be a counterfeit god. If you put them before Christ, your career, your job, money, power, fame, all those things, your hobbies, your obsessions. If they're the most important thing in your life, that's what, if that's what motivates you to get up in the morning, it's like, what am I going to do the next day? They're God's. They don't do anything for you. You serve them. He fills us with something greater. There's a discipline involved. That's say, okay, Father, I want to interact with you. I want to be with you. I, you know, you get into a rhythm of relationship, I'd like to call it. A rhythm of relationship. So the day you don't go to the gym or the two or three days you don't go to the gym, you say, gee, you know, like, kind of, kind of miss going to the gym. It's like that with a relationship. Sorry, it's, I know it's January 2011. I probably hit home with a few people there. That's another message. But the reality is, is that, is that when we, when we're away from him, it's like we have this longing that's there that he puts there. His longing is not meant to give you guilt. It's meant to say, I just want to talk to you. I just want to be with you. Thirdly, Jesus commanded them or commissioned them. Commanded or commissioned them. He says, until the day he was taken up after he had given commands to the Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. It's definition time. Commission and authorize. Commission, I know that the word authorize isn't there, but it's in the definition for commission. So I thought, oh, I better figure that one out too. Give an order. Commission means to give an order or to authorize the production of something, such as a building, a piece of equipment, or a work of art. Do you ever view yourself as a work of art? In God's eyes, you are. To give an artist an order for a piece of work. To bring into working condition. To commission. To bring into working condition. The great commission is to bring into working condition his creation, us. Not the earth, us. To bring us into working condition, the piece of art. What's it mean to authorize? So we're authorized for this commission to bring good news to people so their lives can be changed. And what's it mean to be authorized? Sanctioned, permitted, allowed, approved, consented. Assent to, ratified, endorsed, validated, give the green light to, give the go-ahead to, give the okay, give the thumbs up to. See, God does those things in the commission. The apostles were envoys or ambassadors or delegates sent out with a message and carrying the, the authority of the sender. You have the authority of the sender, just like the apostles. They're laying the foundation for the, the church. Get it going. That work is continuing today. We, likewise, have the same commission, the same commandment 
with the enablement of the spirit of Jesus. You see, in a sense, not in a sense, in reality, we're still living in the ministry of Jesus from heaven through the spirit who's with us. The Great Commission. To proclaim repentance from sin. New life to all nations. Jesus, as well, fourthly, promised the Holy Spirit. Because, you see, you can't exert and live in the commission and, and okay, I'm authorized, Yahoo, but you can't do that stuff without this, without being enabled by the Spirit. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The disciples and the apostles wouldn't be alone. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. Jesus, by his Spirit, was with them. I think Peter clued in on Pentecost. I think he clued in. This is good. This is so good. Like, I'm standing on this balcony, and like there's thousands of people down there, and they're listening to me, and they're hearing me in their own language. This is good, folks. You see, he's been enabled in the commission. Jesus' ministry is fulfilled with the outpouring of the Spirit. The outpouring of the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You see, we have the same enablement in the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. He's fulfilled his ministry with the Holy Spirit. You see, but the truth is, the Great Commission and the authorization that we have in the Spirit to do the things that I just talked about without the Holy Spirit, the commissioning, you know, is, is like a millstone around your neck. If you don't understand the Spirit's enablement and power and just going out and doing it on your own strength, it's like a millstone. We gotta do it. We gotta get that, we gotta just gotta get that great commission going. It becomes stoicism. It becomes t- picking yourself up by your bootstraps, putting your head down. And going. So when I hear the word laboring for the Lord, that's what it reminds me of. Now I know that the heart of someone who says that doesn't necessarily mean that, but it's like you can't be stoic about it, folks. There's there's something more. With the Spirit's enablement, we get to exert the Great Commission. We get to understand his authorization. It gets actually fun. I was in my office just before Christmas, and on my bookshelf I have a little box of little trinkets and rocks and stuff I collected when I was in the Middle East. And one of the things in this that I collected from the top of a mountain is a petrified seashell. On the top of Mount uh, Nebo, where Moses looked out over, over the Promised Land, and God says, this is as far as you go. The top of this mountain... I couldn't believe it. Hundreds and hundreds of petrified seashells. And it's like, when I was there, I remember it was like I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke and says, you know, see, look at this. Nothing's too difficult for me. There's seashells on top of a mountain. Do the math. 
And so this guy came into my office, a good friend I work with, and he's looking through my little box, and I, he picked up this seashell. He says, where would you get that? I said, at the top of Mount Nebo in the Middle East. Oh. He says, he looks at me, and he said, well, that should shut those creationists up. And I said, well, actually, I do actually believe in, in creation. And I said, to me, it actually affirms my faith. He just kind of looked at me. We talked for a little bit. But it was, it was since I arrived at the school, it's the first time that I've had a chance to. But you see, God opens up that. It's, it's fun. It's fun. I didn't go home, oh, jeez, oh, what am I going to do now? I better read all my evolution and creation. But no. Because, see, at the end of the day, it's not about the issues, right? The issue is never the issue. The issue is not evolution and all that stuff. The issue is the heart. The issue is, is God knocking on the door of the heart, as we heard earlier in the meeting, right? So we can go forward. We can go forward in the Great Commission with this authorization of the Spirit, enjoy. We get to be the light of the world. We don't have to be. You are. We get to be that. We get to be it. It's amazing. And it's difficult sometimes. We get curveballs thrown at us all the time. But we get to do it. We get to do it. See, it's about perspective, right? In conclusion, and we have Alpha, and last year we did walk across the room. We understood it just about being natural and sharing our faith. And then we're going to have, I've termed here Witness Weekend. I don't want to call it that. But we're going to have a weekend coming up where we talk about the practicalities of what it means to live our faith in context, in our workplace, in our schools, in our families. Stay tuned. But they're all opportunities to experience the help of the same Jesus who breathed life into the early church. It's the same Jesus. Same one. To God, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Same one. Amazing. Cool. Even. <laughs> 